The Bible Study Podcast, episode 308. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of 1 Timothy with chapter 5. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. One programming note is that I have decided that I'm probably not going to do 2 Timothy right after 1 Timothy because, again, we did do that earlier, so I'll refer you to that study. We probably have two more episodes, this one and one more in the 1 Timothy study, and then I have had the suggestion that we talk about marriage, and so we're going to do a Bible study on marriage. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Paul is giving rules here, and I think rules is probably the appropriate term, first of all, for how Timothy is supposed to act. And how is he supposed to act? He's basically supposed to treat those in the church as family. Treat older men as your father, treat younger men as brothers, treat older women as mothers, treat younger women as sisters. And by saying that, he's saying the family relationship is an important relationship, and we generally know the appropriate way to treat people in our family. Now, I don't know that that's always the case, but hopefully it's the case that we treat those who are in our family with love, and that we should also treat those who are brothers and sisters in the community of Christ in love. They say you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. You also can't pick your church family. Now, I know you can change churches, but... I don't really encourage you to become a church hopper because your responsibility in a church is not just what you can get out of it, but what you can put into it. And if God has called you to a place, I think there has to be a good reason to leave. So let's assume for now that your church family is family. And that's really what he's telling Timothy is nurture, admonish, love, care for, serve all of these people as family. And then he starts going into a section on widows. And it's really interesting, before we read this section, how much there is in the book of 1 Timothy on widows. So let's put it into perspective before we read all this. At the time that he is writing, this is first century Roman Empire, and there is no social security system. There is no pension system. And so generally the way that things happen is you are supported because you do work. And we're talking about a very male-dominated society where mostly the men are working and caring for women. And so a widow is someone who doesn't have her husband to care for her and to provide for her. And so in that society, the position of a widow is a very powerless position Widows and orphans, you may remember, as we've talked about it elsewhere, are mentioned quite often by the prophets of the Old Testament. And they're mentioned because those are positions of vulnerability. There is no power in being a widow. There is no power in being an orphan. And there is great need. And so as he says here, widows, I think widows should be read very literally, but also he is talking about people who are vulnerable, people who are in need. And this is what Paul says about widows, and there's about four paragraphs here. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. 
But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, there's quite a lot there. And some of it is going to sound sort of controversial, so let's parse it a bit here. Let's look at some of the background. As we've said, we're talking about people in a position of vulnerability. In this case, we're dealing with widows. And what the church has done, and remember this goes right back to the early days of the church, and we're not that far from the early days of the church in this letter, but in the first few months of the church, already the church started caring for the widows in the church. And they started having a distribution of food because they looked around and they saw that some of the members of the church were literally starving. And they said, that's not right. We are called to love one another. And how can we pretend to love you and let you starve? That didn't make any sense. Now, it also didn't make sense for the elders to do this work, for the apostles to do this work. And so they appointed deacons and gave them the job of caring for the widows or making sure that the food got distributed. So... It's the second act the church does after the resurrection of Jesus. The first act being replacing Judas Iscariot with somebody else. The church has been already at this time caring for its own, caring for its widows in particular, for a number of years. And when Paul says all of these things about families ought to care for their mothers and their grandmothers if they become widows, they're saying part of love is care. That if you love your parents as you are called to, if you love your grandparents as you are called to, then if they need your help because they've become widows in this particular case, you are called to do that. I think that's part of a larger calling to care for those in our family, to care for those in our church family who need care. Now, this is not easy. And I want to say that and recognize that. And I'm saying that from the position of we just had to do this. Because my wife's mother was living on her own and was well in her 90s and took a fall and could not live on her own anymore. She didn't really want to move out to California to live with us. She didn't want to leave her friends back there. My wife's brother looked for people who could come in and care for her as she lived out in the country, couldn't find anything. Looked for places that could care for her, for elder care facilities. Didn't find any place that you would put somebody you loved. And so... We offered our home, and she came to live with us. Unfortunately, my wife's niece also came to live with us to care for her grandmother, and she lived with us for three years before her recent death. 
And not all of those times were easy, especially the last few weeks as she was in hospice, as she was dying, and the needs increased. But even some of the times before that, when she was waking up multiple times in the middle of the night or when she first came to us and was disoriented, this is not something that's easy. That's not why we are called to do it. But what Paul is saying is part of love is care. That real love, real practical love, includes caring for those in our family, especially elders, and especially in this particular case, for widows in the family. So the list here is the list of people who would be cared for by the church. And and not putting them on the list also is if there's somebody who can get married, he's saying, let's leave the list of who we're going to care for for those who have no other options. But he's also encouraging that we're not looking to have people who can get by or who can work or who can remarry be supported by the church and therefore get into idleness. That may seem very chauvinistic to you in terms of Paul's opinions, and perhaps it is. And Paul is, of course, a product of his environment and his time. But what we ought to look at there is that idleness itself, You've heard that idle hands are the devil's workshop. This is basically what Paul is saying is we are not called to be idle. We are not called to be busybodies. We are not called to talk nonsense. We are not called to be gossipers. He's looking at a particular set of people who he sees having that characteristics and doing those things. It didn't matter to him. If that if those had been men doing those things, he would be saying the same thing. That behavior is not appropriate. And it so happens that in this case, he's seeing it with young widows. That is where he's seeing that behavior. But that is true for us today still, is that we are called not to be idle. We are called to serve. He goes on, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. So what he's saying is the role of preacher and teacher is an important role. And he's saying The people who do it deserve to be paid, deserve to be supported by the church as they are caring for the church through their preaching and teaching. That's what the muzzle the ox thing means, is as the the ox is walking around the threshing floor, threshing out your grain, providing food for you, to muzzle the ox would be to deprive the ox of eating the grain that he is helping create. And so the scriptures that says, do not muzzle the oxes, is basically encouraging us to care for those people who are in those particular roles. But he's saying there is a responsibility in those roles. I don't want you to falsely accuse people. Make sure you have two or three witnesses. You're required to have the testimony of two witnesses anyway in Old Testament law. He's saying two or three witnesses. Make sure that you're not just accusing somebody falsely. But if you're called to this position, you are called to live a life that is open and you are called to live a life that is responsible and you are called to live a life that is accountable. Now that is true of all of us, but doubly so for someone in that position. 
Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Three completely different thoughts here as Paul kind of starts to wrap up this letter. He's got one more chapter left. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do not be hasty as you appoint someone into this position of leadership. And then he gives Timothy some dietary advice. He says, you've got some problems with your digestion. Have a little wine. There are some who subscribe that the Bible doesn't want us to drink wine at all and doesn't want us to drink alcohol. As you can see in this verse, that's not the case. Although Paul certainly says elsewhere, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. But he's saying, hey, a little wine might help your digestion. And then this last phrase, though, I think is the one that's interesting. Some sins are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. Sometimes when people are sinners, everybody can see it. And some sins trail behind them. There are the things that we do in secret that you don't know about. The places where I fall short that I haven't mentioned that are still sin. They are still falling short of the expectations of what God has for me. They are selling myself short. They are being disobedient. But he says, not all of those things are obvious, but they will all catch up with us. I hope you noticed that. And then he says, and I love this, in the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not can't remain hidden forever. That's kind of the good news here is that when you're doing the right thing, When you're hitting the mark, when you're being faithful to God, when you're being obedient to God, that too will be made known. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com or follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace, and throughout scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.